Welcome to Marvel's Voices. I'm your host, Angelique Rocher. My guest today is a multi-hyphenate writer, producer, director, Cody Ziegler. Cody's writing has been featured in multiple Marvel's Voices anthologies. But most notably, he's written several of our favorite spider heroes, including Spider-Punk and most recently, Miles Morales. He's also written for TV, including animation like Rick and Morty and Futurama. Plus, he was in the writer's room for Marvel Studios' She-Hulk Attorney at Law, which many have called one of the most diverse writing teams in Hollywood. Now, we're going to talk all about those things. Marvel's Voices, Miles, Spider-Punk, and She-Hulk. So, let's get to it. The last time we saw each other, we were sitting on a panel at New York Comic Con. Mm-hmm. We were talking about all the cool recent announcements, including you as the brand new writer of Miles Morales. Mm-hmm. Ah, yes. Now you're now you're in there. You're in there. It's been so much fun. It's like a, obviously like a dream come true. Like I've been in love with Miles since he debuted 10, 11 years ago at this point. So it's so wild being like, oh, I get to like write Miles. It's very, very weird. Very weird feeling. You are the first black person mm-hmm. to write an ongoing Miles series. Yeah, it's not your first black Spider-Man, though. Just mm-hmm. want to be very clear because <laughs> Spider-Punk, yeah. my favorite, who we'll gang, get gang. to in a minute, yeah, Gang Gang, is also a person of color. But like, is there a significance for you in taking over this mantle? Yeah, I mean, one thousand percent. I remember when I first heard that there were gonna be like a black Spider-Man, like. Back in the days of Tumblr, like, you know, I didn't have news sources. I just saw, like, a picture of, like, a little kid Miles. Like, oh, my God, he looks like all of my, like, little cousins. Like, it's so – I didn't know that that was the feeling that people had when they saw, like, themselves in, in media. So, like, I remember running to the comic book shop with my roommate at the time. And, like, we need Miles Morales Spider-Man. It's like, well, they're all sold out. But we do have this, like – um, they did, like, this combined issue where they released, like, the first three issues as, like, one giant plus issue. And I've had that bagged and boarded for, I guess, 10 years at this point in, like – I have literally kept it above every creative space that I've worked at. It's like across from me, behind me is like my creative desk where like I don't have access to internet or anything. It's just where I do creative stuff. And I have it bagged and boarded next to like my Miles Morales number one. It's so surreal seeing that come full circle. But it's one of those things where when you're like the first one, you know, you try to think about it because it seems like it becomes a little bit too much. Like it's like a lot of weight to bear, like a lot of responsibility to bear. It's like I I, I try not to think about it too much because I'll just get in my head. But a really dope thing that Saladin did was like he introduced such a strong support system for Miles. I think he was really, 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 really good at featuring strong black women around Miles's life, home life with his mom, sort of like the superhero dating life with T with Starling. I like this theme and like it's very much true to like how I grew up. My mom and aunt and aunts and grandmas are always super pivotal to me and very helpful for me. And um, I was like, well, I would like to have that sort of covered in um, his like superhero mentorship role. So like. You know, that's sort of where the idea of like having Misty come on and sort of shepherd him and, and guide him since he's sort of been on the wing for Peter for so long, who has been a really great mentor. He's been there for him. But like there's things that Misty's experienced as a black woman superhero, street level superhero at that, particularly one that came from like law enforcement. Like she just experienced a whole different reality than Daredevil or, you know, Iron Fist or what, you know, Peter Parker sort of deals with the day to day. And like, I'm glad that Marvel let me have free reign and do what I wanted to do. And um, it's just 
again, a very, the word of the day is surreal. Like, cause it's a very surreal feeling to be like, Oh, I get to like write the miles Morales comic book, but also have it be like a two hander with, with Misty Knight and like, just have them explore my thoughts on like certain things when it comes to like capitalism and like education in America and like how black folks like sort of navigate being in that society and also like having it still be fun and funny and engaging to people. It's funny that, that you mentioned that because I just got my first ever like piece of fan mail from this little kid named like Tucker. He has to be like six or seven. These like, you know, caveman type cartoon drawings of crayon drawings of like Spider-Man and like say, oh, yeah, this is why we do this. Like this is the whole point of this, right? Like You make the thing and then a kid reads it and like they become inspired and they hopefully take away the right morality lesson from this. Then they hopefully lead a good life, a good moral, just life. So like honestly, like that's the most endearing part of it. Like that's the reason that you do it so that Tucker will like it when they read it. Oh, and I love the fact that you brought Misty up because it's so interesting, the dichotomy of being a superhero and being black, right? Mm-hmm. But to have that in the hands of a person of color who understands that dichotomy is just, it brings a smile to my face because now we're on this whole new adventure, right? Mm-hmm. You kind of talked about the fact that when you saw Miles for the first time, it reminded you of folks that you knew, it reminded you of your cousins, it reminded mm-hmm. you... Why Miles Morales? Because there's a lot of other black characters Mm -hmm. in the Marvel Universe. You know, Mm -hmm. what is it about Miles, though, that you specifically love? That's such an interesting question. I mean, I've always loved, like, spider characters. Like, I played the Spider-Man games back and forth when I was growing up as a kid. Like, I watched the cartoons. I watched the movies. I read the old... Like, I got into comics through, like, superhero comics specifically through Ultimate Comics. Like, I was there from the beginning from like ultimate Peter Parker, like first getting the powers and then eventually like dying and passing the mantle on for miles. So like, I think I just always had an affinity for that character. But also I think that's a thing that's unique about spider characters, whether it's Spider-Man or Spider-Woman, you know, Anya Corazon or Silk or whatever, like Spider-Gwen, whatever the thing is. I think there's such a perfect vehicle for like the myth. Like that's the ideas of like these characters are built for like for children, but not in like a derogatory sense, but they're there for like, hey, life is hard. We're adults now, like we can sort of examine things with like a 30,000 foot view, like hindsight's 2020, like these are sort of like the lessons that we took away from it. And yes, we will couch it in like, oh, he's fighting the vulture or like he's fighting moment, whatever the thing is. But the idea is that like there's like a morality at the end of this and like that's something that you should instill in yourself to like hopefully lead a good life. And I think one of the um, offerings of a spider person, like they're so relatable like because they're someone like in their teens, they're going through it. And the cool thing that I like about them is that you can sort of map over different like backgrounds, you know. Cindy Moon, like Korean Spider-Man. Uh, you, know, you can map over like Peter Parker, you're like straight-laced white dude from Queens, like Miles Morales, black Puerto Rican kid from Brooklyn. Like it's such a powerful character type. And like I really drew to Miles, I think, just because I was there for like ultimate Peter Parker from the beginning and end. Finally, when I saw Miles, like he's like wearing like a homemade Spider-Man thing. He's like, oh man, maybe this wasn't like the best idea. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember being that nervous wreck kid, you know, being like 12 or 13 or whatever, being like, oh, man, like this is maybe I have bitten off more than I can chew. And I just the kid was just so adorable. And like it really just resonated with me. I was like, I had to be like 22, 23 when that came out. So I was like, man, I would have loved to have gotten this when I was like 16, like when I was like really developing like my art taste and like things that like gravitating towards doing stories like I would have been so much more powerful, like seeing this when I was like a 15, 16 year old in high school. So like sort of going through it with our frontal lobes are still developing and we haven't really gotten our like moral compass yet. It would have been such a powerful feeling. So like it's also sort of like great cross section between like one, like I love the Spider-Man characters. I was there from the beginning from ultimate comics. And also like, I didn't know that seeing someone that looked like me was, was going to be like, this watershed moment for me for representation and creativity and like wanted to put my stamp on it. I love it. And I also want to like shout out to the fact this isn't your first spider person. Yes. That you've written. <laughs> Look, 
I have a significant love of Spider-Punk. And yeah. <laughs> you seem <laughs> like you. you had the most fun writing Dude. Hobie. Like, talk to me how the whole opportunity happens. You know, what was your idea for this character? Because, yeah. you know, this character has been around for a while. Mm -hmm. But, like, a lot of folks haven't always known what to do with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was honestly, like, a total, like, dream come true. So my first comic I ever did was, like, a 10-page backup for Miles Morales 25. And had a conversation with Nick Lowe, who's like the head of the Spider Offices, basically one of the head editors for Spider Offices. He's like, so what are you looking to do? I was like, look, if they're black and they shoot webs, come to me. Like, that's truly what I want to do. Like, I love the other characters a lot, very, very much so. But like, I got one shot. So like, I'm not going to pretend like this isn't what I want to do. After that came out, I got a email from an editor, Danny Kazam, was like, hey, man. We're thinking of doing some stuff for Spider Punk, and I want to know if you'd be into it. I was like, dude, look at me. Of course, like I'm. A, I was obviously a black punk kid growing up. For those who can't see me, I'm a giant man with tattoos and pierced ears and nose rings and pink hair. So like, I got my guitars next to me. Like it was very much what I grew up doing. And I was like, so well, what you're saying is that you are Hobie Brown. I am. I didn't want to say anything. I'm actually recording this upside down. You can't see me, but I'm sticking to the ceiling right now. It's actually quite impressive. The way you have that <laughs> microphone. Yeah, I, I got it webbed down. Yeah, it's a whole thing. It's a whole cooperation. But I was like, yeah, this is totally what I want to do. And I was like, do you have any, any mandates or anything? He's like, nah, man, go crazy. So I like, as soon as we hung up the phone, I literally just made a Spotify playlist. It was like all the punk songs I listened to growing up, all the stuff I was listening to now and like just new stuff. And I just started like writing things. A lot of the early punk scene was a lot of like black and brown people in the scene. And like most things as history gets retold, they were sort of erased from it. But like, you know, yeah. a really strong black and brown presence in, in early punk days. I came back to Danny and I was like, hey, I obviously I want to do this. I have a million billion ideas, but can I just like make everyone on the team black or brown or people of color? He's like, yeah, sure. It's like, also, I'm going to make all the villains white. Is that cool? He's like, yeah, sure. Go for it, dude. <laughs> I was like, I, it's like the first thing I did was like, I just started pulling out his spider band. Like you were saying, there wasn't like a lot of spider punk stuff out there. You know, there's some fun stuff in Spider-Verses and a couple like, you know, shorts and backups and stuff. But like nothing really that you could like dive deep into. So I just like basically wrote the world that 16-year-old me would be super excited about. And uh, that's where I landed on the team and stuff. You know... Hobie is unique. Can you give folks a little bit of an idea of this of this particular Hobie? Yeah, this Hobie, you know, in the 616, you know, he was the prowler before the Nantle was sort of taken over by Uncle Aaron. But, like, in this universe, he's a 16-year-old British transplant to, like, New York who his hood was a dumping ground for toxic waste. And he sort of, like, got spider-based powers because of that. So the entire world is basically just, like, a post-apocalyptic nightmare, basically. And a lot of it is like just community based. Like a lot of my point of view was, oh yeah, like Hobie's got like a, a group, his spider army, spider band, or just other like kids that don't have homes and they're sort of like kicked out from the side. They're obviously like the lowest run, like the lowest class of people. Like in my mind, this world is like even a more codified division between the upper class and middle class and lower class where in this world, this is just upper class. Like you either have a tons of money or you have nothing. And like that's sort of the world I envision that they were in and I also envisioned that like many things music is what sort of brought them together like music is a sort of soothing thing that sort of soothes their spirit and uh it was really just like having as much fun as possible like there's some other cool stuff like you know their version of Hulk that was in I think it may have been a Jed McKay short he only turns into Hulk when he listens to specific soundtracks like I thought that was super fun 
I love Riri Williams and like she wasn't in that world. So I was like, yeah, let's add Riri in there. Like I love Kamala so much. I was like, can we add Miss Marvel in there? They're like, yes, absolutely. And, you know, one of my absolute favorite characters is Daredevil. And the first thing that we had a conversation with with the artist, Justin Mason, was like, what would be something that you would be have a lot of fun drawing? He's like, man, I love like it'd be cool to have a character that had like rhythm, like drums and stuff. I was like, no, it's got to be Daredevil, right? Like, let's make Daredevil a lady, like a Latina lady. She's like a six year old kid. still has the same powers, but like she sees through drumming and like that's how we navigate the world. And is the only series I worked on so far where every single person was like, this is the most fun I've had drawing a thing. This is the most fun I've had editing a thing. This is the most fun I've had lettering a thing. This is the most fun I've had coloring a thing. And like, I think that's sort of the secret sauce is that like, we're all having so much genuine fun creating this world and, and writing these characters. Truly, I'm not even going to pretend to be humble. Like, I just want to do Spider-Punk 2. So please, Danny, let me do a Spider-Punk 2. I had so much fun doing this. I will grovel. <laughs> well, and I love it too, right? Because this idea of this whole new creative license, right? Because mm-hmm. Hobie actually becomes one of our first black anti-heroes, right? Yeah, like, yeah. And I invite everyone to go and see this really brilliant black character trying to make it that becomes a character is still around to this day right yeah but i don't want to leave this out you've done miles you've done hobie most importantly you've got a story in marvel's voices spider-verse yes number one uh which i'm so excited about it and i've said it before <laughs> it's our biggest marvel's voices we've had yet and the stories are incredible having written for these characters already, what is your first thought on taking a step back when you're looking at a 10-page anthology story? It's funny because I think this every single time. It's like, oh, it's going to be so much easier because it's only 10 pages instead of 20 or 30. And then I'm like, no, this is so much harder because I have 10 pages to put in a story that I it has to cover like all these things that some compress. But like one of the offerings of that is that you can then use it as like a, I personally use it as like a slice of life thing. So the story that I ended up doing for this is one of my favorite things when I watch anime is like, oh, this episode that it's like, we're going to spend the time with the family cooking today. Like, that's what this episode is all about. So, like, my issue for this was like, yeah, let's just see Miles, like, be a big brother. Like, we very rarely see that. Let's see Miles be a big brother and then, like, have Misty be a you know, begrudging chaperone between these two. I, like, have, like, a Billy's day out, Miles' sister Billy, like, a Billy Morales' day out. So, like, it was a fun moment to have that, but then also have, like, Misty sort of go deeper into, like, her point of view and like philosophy when it comes to being a superhero, specifically like a street level character. And also sort of like wrap up some emotional things that were like in my first like five issue arc for Miles. But like the first thing I always think about is like, man, this is going to be so much harder than I thought it was going to be. And then once you get into it, you really sort of see like the fun and beauty because like for me anyway, like a lot of these Marvel voices, maybe people's first introductions to like a lot of these characters, which is great because you have so many packed in there. And then like for the last Marvel voices we did, you had so many cool like interviews but then also distillations of characters history and like what they mean so like it truly is such a beautiful piece of art because it's like inviting to people that don't know what's going on but that is also very sustaining and fulfilling to people that have been following comics forever so like all this is usually going on in my brain and then i crack and then like i get to writing but <laughs> my ultimate like i hope the story resonates with people because i find like a lot of beauty in like what you guys have put together in those books and having so many different points of view and different talented creators not just like artists and writers but like sometimes artists are writing their first things which is like really really cool this is such a a beautiful piece of art that i'm very thankful that you guys have invited me to be a small part of oh i'm smiling so much i can't (laughs) get to my next question because that's the best thing about it is being able to bring Hmm. 
folks who really love it, right? Yeah. Folks who really love storytelling. And I think one of the unique things about this is that Marvel's voices in the grand scheme of things is pretty young, but yeah. the love and the knowledge of the folks who are stepping into the space is really incredible. And for you, I'm just kind of curious as an artist, what if anything feels different or special about these books for you? I think first and foremost, it's so rare, at least in my experience, to have a book just front from cover made by black people or having involvement. Like that's always like been the thing. It's just so amazing to go through and be like, oh, wow, like this was like drawn by a black person. Like this was written by a black person. This was colored by a black person. Like Natasha Bustos, she drew my first Miles 10 page backup. And I think they had their first like actual written comic and illustrated comic in the last yep. one. And it was so, so cool that they have finally got this opportunity. And like, honestly, their story was so good. And I was like, man, they're so much better than mine. Like I was so upset, but I was like, I love that this book exists for that reason. Like I also love that like I'm getting to work with talent that I haven't heard of. Like maybe it's their first big thing. I did like four or five shorts in and, and like, there are some artists that I've worked with that like I finally get to work with again, like a longer page format. It's just such a cool nexus of like representation, inclusion and all that stuff, but also like connecting these people. Otherwise, because you know, there's not a lot of us in the industry, you know, when we get to connect and work together, it's just like, oh, this person's on my radar now. Like now I can follow them on Instagram and like now we can like be like actual friends and not just names and emails like it's a. Uh, I really enjoy it for many fronts, but also the connectivity of it all, like actually creating like a community in the comic book space for like black people, because it's just so, so few of us. I got drinks with Eve Ewing last week when she was in town and we were just like talking about like, yeah, there's not a lot of black people in comics. And it would be it's so cool that like these spaces exist where we could connect and like reach more of us. And also hopefully the dream is always get more in that. It's like their first shot, their first thing in the door is like, that's why I'll always eternally ride for the Marvel voices comics and this podcast too. Like I ride for them both just because I've have such a very blatant MO when it get into any art spaces, like get more black and brown people in there. So like I'm more percent behind this. I love it. And I think that's like the perfect segue because this season of the show is about that. It's about the value of building representation and inclusion and building these teams. Obviously, it feels like that environment and that change of energy was there. But talk to me about your work, because you work across industries, what that looks like when you build these better, more inclusive, creative teams. Yeah, I mean, I yell about this every single time I get an opportunity. So thank you for giving me this opportunity to yell about it again. But my first writing job, TV writing job, was for the show called Craig of the Creek on Cartoon Network. And for those who don't know, it's just about this little black kid named Craig who goes to the creek with his friends and they have adventures. And the creek is full of every single type of kid. And because the crew on the show was filled with every single type of person, like the writer's room wasn't just like black people. It was like, oh, here's like Filipino black person. Here's a black person from New York. Here's a black person from the deep south. Here's a black person from the northwest. Also here are like native hawaiian folk we have taiwanese people we have people from like mainland china it's just like every different type of person and also every different type of person from across the lgbtqa spectrum so like there's just like so much representation and inclusivity that there's a whole episode where it's just based around kids bringing like their favorite snack to the creek for like a cook-off type show we just spent the day talking about different types of snacks that we would make. So like, you know, the Filipino cats in the show would talk about this type of food that we had or like the indigenous Hawaiian folks, like this is what we made. And like, it was just such a cool, inclusive environment. And like, that's how I got into TV making and TV shows and just creative in general. So like, 
I've been lucky enough that most of the shows I've worked on have had that same sort of energy. Like She-Hulk was my first like big, big show. And I cannot congratulate and thank the showrunner, head writer, Jessica Gao enough for getting me on. Like that room was also super, super inclusive, like majority women, majority black women, which is rare for anything. Like the only men on the show were me and Zeb, Zeb Wells. And the way that I got into writing comics was I would not be in writing comics if Jessica would not have given me that shot. And also if I hadn't met Zeb Wells, because like our roles on the room were very much like the two comic book nerds, we would yell about comics and then they would be like, all right, calm down, let the adults get back to work. And, <laughs> and after yelling about Daredevil for too long one day, Zeb was like, hey, do you want to like, write comics? I was like, of course, I would love nothing more than to write comics. And he introduced me to Nick Lowe and like everything was just history after that. But like all this stuff is like for people who aren't born into it, who aren't given access, you know, I'm from North Carolina, a super small rural town. We didn't have cable growing up. We didn't have air conditioning growing up. So, like, I didn't know that we could make stuff. Like, I just said, oh, cartoons are just made, but not by people that look like me or my dad or my mom or whatever. So, like, people taking the chance on you and giving the shot has been, the honestly, it's the foundation and cornerstone of my career. Like, I would not be here. People did not give me the chance. That's what I want to leave in the world. So, like, anytime I get the smallest, smallest bit of power, I'm like, yeah, but what about someone that looks like me or doesn't look like me? Like, what if someone who is, like, they're not cis. Like, what if they're like they're on the LGBTQ spectrum? Similar, like whatever the thing is. I just like the whole idea is that we're sort of in this together, and we have to open those doors together or pry them open. In, in most cases, in most instances, and that's been my legacy for getting in, and like that's the legacy that I want to leave behind. So, like, I sort of went into a fugue state. I forgot what you actually asked me. So, like, my eyes have rolled to the back of my head. I'm sort of like coming back down. I'm like, oh, the whole coming back down to Bruce Banner. Like, <laughs> you I just woke back up. Yeah, I forgot uh, like, what year is it? Where am I at? But like, well, thank you for telling that story. Mm-hmm. You've had this experience of having diverse rooms. I think it reflects in the storytelling. So for you, how did you see people bringing their own backgrounds and experiences into the work? What did that look like for you? Yeah, so there were nine of us, I believe. And of the nine, the like comic book people that were like, they have a specific talent and knowledge when it comes to like the MCU and comic book was like me, Zeb Wells, Jackie Gale, who was part of a writing team who... They wrote the second episode. No, the what episode Meg the Sighting is, I can't remember. They wrote that episode. So like a lot of it would be like, hey, who are some characters that we can use? And me and Zeb and Jackie would be like, oh, this character or this character. Or like, what the Wrecking Crew or what about this? And like blah, blah, blah. So like a lot of it came from that. would be like, hey, um, who's a bunch of goofy villains? And I would, we would trip over our chills to yell out a bunch of characters. So like Zeb's episode, episode seven, like that's basically, if you see like those weird characters that came in there, like that was Zeb. Jackie and and myself. So like that was a lot of, oh, we'll use these fun well characters. Well, well, thank you. Well there's a point where you just have fun, right? Yeah. Like there's a point, and I think that's kind of <laughs> what I hear you saying is like, when you have an inclusive room like that yeah. and you've got folks from different experiences where you're not in a box, right? Yeah, like yeah. Nobody, nobody was like, wait, Jen Walters loves Meg the Stallion. Everybody who's a Jen Walters fan is like, of course Jen Walters loves Meg the Stallion. Why wouldn't like, she what? love Meg the Stallion? Yeah, because Tatiana loves Meg the Stallion in real life. Like, Why would you not? Would right, you not? I was like, of course. Well, and I think what I'm hearing is that this inclusivity gave opportunity to tell yeah. a broader story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, every episode is usually honed around someone's point of view. Like, So like I would say, like some of the rumors come about people, then the other half are like, just straight up comedy writers, not comedy comic book people, but like people that are like just straight up sitcom comedy people. So like the character Madison, for instance, like that was written by uh, Melissa Hunter, a very, very talented writer and actress. And uh, 
her whole bit about this not the one you think like, that was just melissa riffing in the room like she just totally riffed that character like it would be funny if she has like a sort of a party girl like she does it like this and like that's why she got that episode is because she pitched that character and basically pitched all that stuff and like she wrote it out so like even the wedding episode like there's this sort of like runner like how weird it is to have a wedding on a thursday and that's because i believe either jessica or the writer kara brown was like i got invited to a wedding in the middle of the week isn't that crazy and like that's sort of how the episodes were sort of doled out taking a step back so like everyone's in the room together pitching on ideas and like and once you sort of notice like oh maybe this story is leaning more towards this person's strength or like this person seems a little bit more interested in this way like that's when the sort of signing of the episodes come together i got the daredevil episode because early on in the conversation in the room we were like hey it seems like we'll get to the point where like we can use daredevil i was like oh cool like is it going to be the daredevil we're like well we have no reason why it wouldn't be charlie cox and like there was this discussion about like oh how does his powers work and they're like well what if it is this this or this or blah 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 i just happen to have a mark wade volume one daredevil in my backpack and there's a scene if you've read the comic where like Matt and Foggy are walking across like a street in um, New York. And you see a bunch of different things happen. Like there's a guy playing violin. There's like a lady walking by. There's like a dove. And you see Matt hearing all those things. So I just happened to pull that double spread out. It's like, hey, this is how it works. This is how his powers work. And there's like a beat of silence. And then they all roasted me because I was such a hardcore nerd. And then they're like, all right, this episode seems like it's built for you. So you, this is, you get to write this episode. But like. So we can thank you for the Walk of Fame. <laughs> Yeah, you could through proxy of, of Mark Wade and me liking that comic book and being an enormous nerd. That's like that domino meme, like the small domino. It's like reach Daredevil once. And the last domino is walk of shame outside Jen's apartment. I mean, I absolutely love it because when we do have these tables, things are richer. That's one of the reasons why the Marvel's Voices anthologies are so important. Because then we have folks who go on and write. Miles Morales. Oh, man. Okay. Is there anything else you have coming up that you'd like to tell our listeners about? I'm writing Miles Morales. I did get a issue extension, so I got some more of those coming than the ones I originally asked for, so that's exciting. The book is selling well. The book is revering well, so like, I'm just really, really thankful that people are resonating with the story that I wanted to tell and also are supporting it, and that let me keep making pieces of cool art that's honestly that's the plug is like i'm excited that i get to make stuff and people seem to enjoy it that's the dream uh well i can't wait for folks to see where miles is headed well miles and misty and i really can't wait for folks to see your story ah uh, thanks man in marvel's voice of spider-verse number one thank you so much thanks for having me man cody is the absolute best he even kind of looks like a ray of sunshine with his bright pink hair. I know you couldn't see it, but I'm going to tell you, I love it. Okay, so Cody talks some about writing his Miles Morales story for Marvel's Voices, Spider-Verse number one. And next week, I'm going to be talking to a couple other creators from that book. Writer Jeremy Holt and writer-artist Jason Lowe. Marvel's Voices is produced by Isabel Robertson, Zachary Goldberg, Cara McGurk-Allison, and me, Angelique Rocher. Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Barton. Our production manager is Emily Godfrey. And our executive producer is Jill Duball. Our theme music was composed and performed by Kamal Wainaina. Wainaina.